highlights, doesn't it? It really does. really helps be able to see clearly. You know, I just want to start this morning with a little story, um, presumably from America. <laughs> it's about two gas servicemen who went out to service, um, I guess, the units and places in an alleyway, and one of them was a senior serviceman, and the other was a young trainee. And so they started up one end of the alley, and they, you know, do whatever they have to do with the gas meters, and they walk along, and they do the next place, and they do the next place. And when they finally got to the end of the alley, they got to the last place, and there was a lady looking out her window at these two men, you know, at her gas meter. And anyway, finally, the guys had finished what they were doing, and their truck was parked up the other end of the alley where they'd started. And the, um, the senior one said to the trainee, I'll race you back to the truck. So off they go, racing, racing, racing back to the truck. And when they finally got back here, they heard the woman from the last house huffing and puffing behind them. <laughs> so they turned and they said to her, what's wrong? And she answered and said, when I see two gas men running... At full pace from my house, I think I need to run too. Do you know what? It's seeing things through the right eyes. You know, the guys knew what they were doing. They were just having a race. The lady was seeing a very different story, wasn't she? She was seeing something through very different eyes. So my question this morning is, whose eyes are you looking through? And I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. I apologise, there's no PowerPoint up there today. So it's either read yourselves or listen carefully. And there are a few scriptures along the way today. So have your ears open, even though I'm talking about eyes. Numbers 13, I'm starting at verse 1, but I'm not reading the whole chapter. So just um, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now you can skip right down to verse 25. It says, and this is after they've been out to explore, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And they give a report. It says, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It's a good report, isn't it? Here is its fruit. And they brought back the big cluster of grapes with them. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. 
and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And then they said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Did you hear that? We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. Father, we just pray that as we come around it, that you would bring revelation to each one, Lord God. Father, that the words I speak would be from your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, that they would be words that you have destined to speak today. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that whatever is said, Lord, Father, that I feel in my sense I just come simply before you, Lord, but I pray that you take the words and you just um, reach out to each one with them in Jesus' name. Amen. So, are you looking through the right eyes? You know, the spies saw themselves through their own eyes as grasshoppers. And, you know, I was trying to Google and find out what one little grasshopper is like. Because, you know, you hear the stories of the damage that grasshoppers do. You know, we know that plagues of grasshoppers can be absolutely devastating. But it was really actually hard to find out what one tiny little grasshopper would do. So I decided I wasn't going to focus so much on what the grasshopper did, but on what the grasshopper looked like. You know, grasshoppers are pretty tiny when they're young. This big. They can be brown or green. They camouflage, they blend in. But pretty well, if you were in your garden and there was one little grasshopper, he's going to appear pretty insignificant, isn't he? He's going to be pretty insignificant. He's going to blend in. And so, in other words, at this time, the spies had a pretty small, small image of themselves. They didn't see themselves as very big. In their own eyes, they were appearing powerless. They were appearing hopeless. They were appearing incapable. They appeared inadequate and they were insecure. That was in their own eyes. That's how they felt about themselves. And so even though God had just freed them from the desert and he brought them through the Red Sea, they didn't even believe that they could take this land And Pastor James was just talking about the promised land. You know, they couldn't take it. They were too scared to do that. In fact, the way they viewed themselves actually led to fear and defeat. They weren't even prepared to try and conquer those giants that were in the land. And, you know, if you read that passage again, it doesn't even actually state that they saw the giants destroying the land. The words in my version actually said, the land we explored devours those living in it. But it doesn't actually give you an example of it happening. You know, sometimes we just assume things are happening because it looks bigger or scarier or more frightening than what we actually think it is. So sometimes people can assume things that don't actually exist. It can be an exaggeration of the circumstances. And I'm not saying we don't have bad circumstances, but sometimes we can actually exaggerate them. The spies, what they were doing was comparing themselves with those giants. And to them, 
the problem of those giants was insurmountable. It was just too huge to even attempt to deal with. They were just huge. And, you know, many Christians actually see themselves as grasshoppers in their own eyes. I know I've done it. I'm sure many of you have. Often people have a small or a not-so-good self-image, a poor self-image, you know, and we've just heard it. Shah mentioned it again this morning. We hear it many times, you know, I'm no good. I'm useless. I can't do it. I'm ugly. I'm inadequate. I'm a failure. You know, I'm not as good as them. I can't do anything. Whatever I put my hand to just doesn't work. It's not a good self-image. They compare themselves with others and unknowingly exaggerate the circumstances that surround them. A lot of words spoken over us of the cause of this and I know like I just went to a glow the other week and Sandy Prizman spoke an excellent message about stolen identity and addressing this how words spoken over us as young people is like often our real identity in God gets stolen and it's all of those things you know many of us are confronted with those things a lot of our lives and we struggle to get rid of those feelings of insecurity and inadequacy and, you know, you can listen to lots of people, even here, I've heard them, and I've done it too. You talk about, you know, you don't feel adequate to do something or capable. So, for instance, back in 1999, I started teaching here in Gladstone at Kinkora State School. I was on a Year 7 contract. I'd taught for years before in New South Wales, but we'd moved up to Queensland and there'd been a couple of years in between. And I did a really good job, apparently, on the Year 7s. I was what staff would tell me. I did actually an excellent job. And so in the Year 2000, I was actually offered a permanent position at the school. In order to do that, I had to get a rating. Back then, you had to get a rating as a teacher. And you could get one to four, one being the best and four being not very good. And I got a one. So presumably... I was a good teacher in the eyes of others, in the eyes of the staff, the admin, those around me. But you know what? I struggled. I actually really struggled with what I was doing. I struggled with how I felt about what I was doing. Because even though that would tell me that I was doing a good job and I was a good teacher, I didn't feel like that. I would look at others around me and I would compare myself with them and I would think, I'm really not very good. I'm hopeless at this. I can't cope with it. I can't do it. And I actually would go into the principal's office and say, I quit. Happened a couple of times. I'd walk back the next day and I'd go, did you replace me? They'd go, no. You know, and so then I was there a bit longer. But I remember one morning, and um, it was years ago because Heather was young, very young, probably in preschool. And I was dropping Heather off at someone's place. And I remember that morning I burst into tears. This was before work. <laughs> and said, I just cannot do this. I just am no good. I am inadequate to do this job. And that came out through conversation, that word inadequate. And I remember this friend saying to me, stop right there. And I said, what's the matter? She said, that's your problem. That word there is your problem. The word inadequate, she said, that is not true. She said, you are looking at yourself through your own eyes. She actually said that. 
She said, you're looking at yourself through your own eyes. She said, you are far more capable than that. She said, you just need to be able to look at yourself through the right eyes. She said, stop comparing yourself to others. You are a child of God. He has made you capable and more than able to do what he's asked you to do. And so I went to work that day, probably struggling still. (laughs) But do you know what? I had to turn around and start listening to God. What was God saying about me? You know, what was God saying about me? Was I going to look at myself through my eyes all the time or was I going to look at myself through God's eyes? You know, somehow I managed to stay there for 11 years till I felt God tell me to stop teaching a few years ago. So we all go through times like that where there's something. may not be that for you, but it could be something else. Do you know, in contrast to the other spies, so the 10 spies had gone out to the land and they came back with that report saying, we can't, we cannot. Yet in verse 30 it says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. There was no sense of fear or defeat in Caleb's eyes. Only words of faith and victory. So what was the difference between Caleb and the spies? You know, Caleb had just been through the same circumstances as what the other ten spies had been through. They'd been rescued from the Egyptians through the parting of the Red Sea. God had told them all that he was going to give them the land of Canaan as the promised land to the forefathers. Caleb was sent out to spy the same country as what those other ten spies were sent out to do. You know what? He actually saw the same things. He saw a land filled with milk and honey. He saw the land that produced good fruit. You know what? Caleb even actually saw the giants. He saw the same things. But yet his report was so different. He was certain they could take possession of the land. Why? The reason being because Caleb saw himself and the circumstances through God's eyes and not his own. He had a confident assurance that in a God, in a God that loved him and a God that still loves us, and he focused on God and God's ability. Instead of comparing himself to the giants like the ten spies did, Caleb compared the giants to God. It makes for a very, very different perspective. To Caleb, the presence of those giants was insignificant. You know, it was pretty minuscule. It was a minor issue. Or to Caleb, not one at all. Because he knew that God was greater. Caleb's confidence in God was determined by his faith and trust, which ultimately led to victory. If you read the passages, Caleb and Joshua were the only two that actually entered the promised land of the ones who had been through the desert. The spies didn't get in. So another question, how do we change from looking at ourselves through our own eyes to looking at ourselves through God's eyes as victorious? How do we change from looking at ourselves as grasshoppers 
in our own eyes to looking at ourselves through God's eyes as victorious. And so this morning, I just want to bring three keys to you about how that can happen. And I haven't actually put in here prayer and praise, but let me say I believe those things are really important and they come with it. But the first key this morning I want to talk about, and I probably could have handed my notes over to Shah a few minutes ago and said, here, keep preaching, because she was starting to verge on a lot of what is about to be said. So the first one is getting a revelation of God's love and who you are in Christ. You know, Caleb knew his God. He knew his God. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. You are created in the image of God. This is where our source and our value, our source of value comes from. Because you are a child of God. It doesn't come from what we do. doesn't come from what we achieve. doesn't come from what we conquer. It comes because you are actually made in his image and you are one of his children. And our value comes because God saw enough worth in us that we should be created in his image. You know, we need to get a revelation of God's love. We need to get a revelation of who we are in him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God values us enough, each one of us, to have sacrificed his son for us. 1 John 4.18, the first part of the verse says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You know, God is love. So if we get a revelation of God's love, God's love can drive out fear. Get that revelation. Believe that God wants the best for you. When you truly know that somebody loves you, you are more likely to trust them. You are more likely to believe what they tell you. Most of the time. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. If you know that and truly believe that someone loves you, you are more likely to listen to them and believe what they tell you. You know, God had prepared that great future for the Israelites. He'd promised the land of Canaan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now that doesn't mean that when things come our way or we have to confront issues or difficulties or circumstances or those giants in our lives, that we may not have to work to overcome them. But we do need to know and believe and trust that God has said he will give us the land. He will give us the land. He will get you through. He is the conqueror as long as we look through his eyes and not our own. When I did actually finish teaching back in 2011, I had no idea what I was going to do next. I believed that it was time. 
for various reasons, for health reasons and different things, that it was time that I gave up my teaching career. And it was like, hmm, now what? <laughs> Got no idea, Lord. I'm not qualified to do anything else. I've been teaching most of my life. What do I do next? And I just thought, well, I have to start with what I've got. And the only thing I could think of was that I'd worked in a shop back when I left Teachers College for a very short time. <laughs> and that I could put that skill to use. So I went and worked in a couple of stores in Gladstone for a fair bit of that year. But in that time, I was still believing God that he had something better. I knew that wasn't the promised land for me. And I just had to put it before God and say, show me what to do. And eventually I got the job that I now have now as a coordinator with daycare. Now I didn't know that that was going to happen. I didn't know that job even existed when I left teaching. It wasn't anything I'd ever looked into. But you know, God had it prepared for me. And if anything ever happens, God has something else prepared for me. But, you know, sometimes we have to work through it and get to a point where we can claim it. But we need to trust God. We need to trust that that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11 says, the plans he has for you are good. They're not bad. You may go through difficult times. You may struggle at times. You may confront huge issues in your life. But do you know what? God's plan for you is good. You need to get that revelation that he loves you and that he wants the best for you and that he has a good plan for you. It's really, really important to get that revelation first. Because sometimes when we're going through those difficult times, we wonder, where are you, God? Anyone ever done that? Yeah, we do. What's going on, Lord? You know, thought you loved me, God. <laughs> Well, if you loved me, what's happening? But do you know what? He does. Get that revelation that he loves you, that your identity is in him. It's not what you do. It's not what you achieve. It's not whether you fail at trying something. It is really important to get it through God's eyes, to see yourself through his eyes and the situations that you're in. Key number two, renew your mind. So we need to get a revelation and then we need to renew your mind. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. You know, it's through life's trials and difficulties and problems that your faith is strengthened. You know, faith can be strengthened at many different times, but trials are often a stepping stone to faith. David was able to faith Goliath because he had already faced a lion and a bear. But more than that, he knew his God. David knew his God. David knew when he faced the giant that he would be able to just stand with God and do what he had to do. Caleb was prepared to enter Canaan because he knew God had already rescued him 
out of Egypt. He knew what God had done. God had taken care of him in the desert. So he knew his God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. Certainly not by our own sight. We need to hang on to God's promises. And in order to do that, we need to be reading them. Pastor James has done a great series lately on the power of the kiss and the power of particularly the one in my head was the word, but I think it was the power of the mind and I think there's one in between that I've forgotten. Do you know what? Fill your mind with positive scriptures. Sometimes we neglect to do that. I know I do sometimes. Write down the good things that God has done for you. You know what? Our memories don't always serve us well. So sometimes it's good to write those things down. Write down the things, the times he answered prayer for you, whether it was regarding finances or jobs or relationships or family members, sickness. Write down the difficult times that he has brought you through. Write down the prophecies in your life that you've had over your life that have been fulfilled. Write down the tasks that you have accomplished yourself. Doing all of this will help build your faith. Believe what God says is true. Allow his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way you think. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Your mind can become new. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. You know, I was just contemplating on that scripture and about a sound mind, and I thought to myself, what do I think a sound mind is? You know, when I was teaching, if you were putting on a report card a sound, it was average. So if you've got a sound mind, then you would have an average mind. Do you know what? I don't believe that with us. I don't think we just have an average mind. I was thinking further on it and I thought, if someone with a sound mind was going to make decisions, they need to have a little bit of information to be informed. And they need to have the wisdom to make the right decisions. So when I think of a sound mind in the light of what God has to say, I think of it in the light of wisdom. And James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So whenever we are confronted with the issues of life, circumstances that come our way, I always think that wisdom is going to help get us through. I pray for wisdom every day on my way to work. It's the one word I pray every day. As I'm driving to work, I go, Lord, give me wisdom today in what I do. Give me wisdom in what I say. Give me wisdom in what I hear, what I speak. Because when I started this job and I still am the least experienced in it in our office. The others have all been there for many years. So I pray, Lord, 
I might feel inadequate in myself if I'm looking through my own eyes, but I've got you and I've got your wisdom. And so in what I do at work, Lord, if I'm confronted with big issues or decisions to make, and my job role can be in some terms a bit scary. Most of the days are lovely. But in our role, we do go out and we do go to houses. And if there is something wrong happening there, we have to deal with it. You know, I'm in a position where I could have to shut somebody down from what they're doing. That's scary thought, isn't it? So I need wisdom to discern what do I say, what do I look for, what do I listen for, what questions do I ask. And so every day I pray for God's wisdom and I believe that that's part of having a sound mind. Knowing that we have God's view on it. Looking through his eyes, not just mine. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now sometimes we are confronted with issues in our life that we have no control over. You know, the day I go to the doctor and they say, you've got cancer, I couldn't do anything about that. I couldn't change that situation. I just had to go with it and work through it. But God's word says I can do all things. So I can walk through those things with God's eyes, not just my own. Sometimes we put ourselves into situations We make wrong decisions in life. We might make a major financial decision that's really gone haywire. And then again, we're confronted with what do we do now? Sometimes we say things that cause relationship problems. We've caused it. But do you know what? If you're willing to ask God for forgiveness, we can also deal with it. We can look through his eyes at how to see things change, not just our own eyes. Reading and meditating on these scriptures will help encourage you and build your faith. So we need to get that revelation of God's love and who we are. We need to renew our mind. I've just read you a whole heap of scriptures. You would have a whole other array of scriptures that you could have put in here. Shah had one earlier. Number three, respond to God's word. It's all very well to read it. It's all very well to say it. But are we willing to respond to God's word? Last week, Pastor James was preaching a message about standing on the word. Great message. If you haven't heard it, get on the podcast or whatever it is and listen to it. But you know, to respond to God's word, we need to pray. Pray with a positive attitude. You know, sometimes our attitude can determine our outcome in life. You ever notice that? Attitude can really determine outcome sometimes. Henry Ford once said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Do you hear that? (laughs) Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. What we believe to be true about ourselves becomes our reality. But that's only if we're like the grasshoppers looking through our own eyes. If we start to look through God's eyes, then that will change. So how do we respond to what confronts or challenges us? 
You know, I was just thinking the other day about the um, shark attack that happened. We've all seen it on the news. You know, the surfer who was um, in the competition in South Africa. And you saw the shark come up and attack him. Now, what was his name? Nick or Mick? Mick. Mick, yeah. Anyway, I was watching that. I don't know what I would have done if it was me, but I'm not a surfer, so that doesn't really matter. But I'm watching that and I was amazed at what he did. Punched into that shark. And I'll tell you, he punched with determination. He was probably fearful. That's probably why he was doing it. Wouldn't you be? (laughs) But, you know, I watched what he did. He punched with determination. And to me, I looked and I thought, he was punching like he was going to win. You know, he was going to get away from that shark no matter what. He really was. And I thought about it and I thought, what would be the alternative? He could have been sitting on his surfboard. He could have just said, well, shark's going to eat me. Might as well just sit here and let him. Here I am. Do you know what? That could have happened. But I thought he went in with confidence in a sense. Even though he was fearful, the adrenaline would have kicked in. But... You know, like I thought, you could react two ways there, couldn't you? You could react like he did, like punch in with almost that, to me, I could see that attitude of victory, like I'm going to get away from you. Or he could have sat there and felt defeat and thought, well, might as well just sit here anyway because he's going to eat me up and I'm defeated anyway. So I was just thinking about that, you know, that... (laughs) the difference between the two attitudes of what could be or couldn't be. You know, last year I climbed Mount Larkham, wherever it is, over there somewhere, for the first time. I'd wanted to do it a few years ago, but then I got cancer and that interrupted the plan. So last year I was determined I wanted to climb Mount Larkham. Now, hand up if you've ever climbed Mount Larkham. Yeah, quite a few people, probably 40% here. It's a bit of a scary looking mountain, depending on which way you're looking at it from. If I ask some people here, they'd probably go, no, it's pretty easy. I asked Steve yesterday, how long does it take you to get up Mount Larkham? (laughs) Probably depends on which day he goes, but he said, oh, you know, on average, you know, probably 45 minutes or so. Took me two hours and 20. So Mount Larkham might look a bit different in his eyes to him than it does to me but you know I looked at the mountain when I got there and you can't see all of it you can't see all of it you've got no idea what the path is going to be like until you get on it and you know we did the first 40 minutes or so we had Heather with us and some other people and Malcolm and we did the first 40 minutes or so and we're following the trail and we got to the creek and I thought oh so is the mountain like this all the way (laughs) well that's a joke (laughs) anyone who's done it I thought that was bad enough (laughs) but that was just like the meandering hills you know that was just like the little easy bit then we got past the creek and it got a bit steeper and then we went a bit further and people are coming down the mountain and they'd look at me and I'd go have we got much further they'd go yeah you have it's a long way but it'll be worth it they go, keep on going. And so we kept on going and kept on going. 
and kept on going. And we kept on going. <coughs> Man, I was huffing, I was puffing. I had to stop a few times, that's okay. I didn't care how often I had to stop. I wanted to get to the top. <coughs> and then, for anyone who's been up Mount Larkham, at the top of Mount Larkham are these big rocks. It's not a path anymore, it's a rock climb. I mean, a real rock climb. Someone had told me you had to climb rocks at the top, but I thought they just meant like, you know, a few rocks like this. You know, that you just climb over, like going over a creek. Well, they hadn't told me the truth, had they? These are massive rocks. And I stood there. It's now two hours up the mountain. I'm perspiring with sweat. My shirt was wet. I'm like exhausted. And now I look at these rocks. And I think to myself, Lord, I'm going up there. So I sent Malcolm up first. (laughs) Always send an advance party. It's always important. That way I could watch how to get up there. That was the key. So he goes up. I hand my bag up to him, or whatever I had on my back. And now it's my turn. You know, foot here, hand here, foot here, whatever. I couldn't do it. I had to jump back down. Valia, no. I stood there and I looked at that rock. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't get to the top. I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's too high. It's too hard. I'm hopeless. I can't get there. But, you know, then I stood there. And I changed my attitude and I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't want to climb two hours up this mountain to only get this far. I want to get to the top. Show me how to get to the top. And, you know, within a few seconds, next minute, my hands and feet were going and I was up. Thank you. (laughs) It was hard work. Do you know, I had to change the focus coming from my own eyes, seeing myself as incapable and unable, to putting it into God's eyes, knowing that that mountain, that giant, whatever you want to call it, that monster of a mountain, that I was going to get to the top of it. I wanted to conquer it. I believe that God, a few years earlier when I used to go out walking and wanted to climb it, they told me I would get there. But I had to believe and trust him in the end that he would get me up there, that he would show me how to get right to the top. You know, if you haven't ever made it right to the top, that doesn't mean you're any less of a person. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. We all have a different journey to walk. We all have different things that we have to go through. Some of us go through major sicknesses and illnesses. Some of us go through incredible financial difficulties. Some people go through huge relationship problems. You know, all sorts of things in life can be like the giants that the spies saw in the land of Canaan. You know, Mount Larkham's a pretty simple example. I realise that many situations in life are far more complex than that. But that was just a simple one to show the illustration of whose eyes did I look through. 
you know, circumstances in life, we either, we face them, we either choose to respond to them by fear or by faith. Do you know, today I want to challenge you, look through the right eyes, change any fear that you have to faith, get that revelation of God's love, renew your mind, get into the word of God, stand on the promises that he has given to you. Do you know, I realized also, you know, that we can't all walk the same journey. And I only got the revelation of this the other day. When I was thinking about that story of Mount Larkham, I sent Malcolm up because I wanted to see how to get up there. I wanted to follow his footprints. I wanted to put my hands and feet where he had put his to get to the top. But do you know what? That didn't work for me. Do you know why? Because we're all on a different journey. We all have a different life to live. Do you know, even though the spies and Caleb were going into the promised land, when they went to spy out the land, they went to different areas to have a look in that one place. The promised land, I don't know where exactly in the promised land, if they'd have all gone in, would they have ended up residing? But to get in, they may all have had to have done something different. I had to put my feet and hands in a different place on those rocks to get up than what Malcolm did. I can't just follow what somebody else does. Even though someone might have been through a situation like what you're going through, and I'm not saying don't get wisdom from them or advice or anything, but know that God has you in his hands. Know that your journey is your journey, that we are unique and each one of us walks a unique journey and each one of us will have unique giants in the land to face. But do you know what? Don't be the grasshopper. Don't see yourself as a grasshopper in your own eyes. Please stand with me. We're going to sing for a minute. But I believe that there are people... People who feel inadequate, who felt inadequate, insecure, not sure what's happening in your life at the moment, and you felt down about it, you've struggled with it, you don't know how you're going to come through it, but do you know what? I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to start seeing it through God's eyes that you are able, that you are loved, that you are His chosen child. You are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God has given you promises and he will fulfill them. You need to change that fear into faith. It doesn't happen overnight. You need to get that revelation. Renew your mind in the word of God. And as you do that, your faith will build. And you will pray and your prayers will change. They will change from fearful prayers to faithful prayers. It's an exciting time. Let's just sing together as we worship God again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.